good afternoon. Welcome to the Task Podcast. Um, today we're in we're in Pi, which is a hill station, I suppose you could call it, about 130 kilometres from Chiang Mai, uh, my hometown, where I have a house, where I lived for four years, where I may well move back to. I'm here with a mate, Frank Ravis. Hello. Welcome, Frank. Thank you, sir. And uh, we don't have a subject today. We're just going to kind of ramble on as mates do about a few things. And, you know, we've got a bit in common and and uh, see where it takes us. But um, I think, you know, starting off as an intro, really, how, Frank, you're, you're from New York, right? I am. How does a guy from New York, from the city, end up in the country, which this is definitely oh, in the country, yeah. right out in the sticks, in, in, so... in, in Pi? How does a guy from New York end up here? Uh, originally, I grew up uh, outside of New York, in uh, what they call upstate New York, and uh, we had 14 acres. I grew up with like dirt bikes and, and dogs and uh, a, t- a totally different time before cell phones or the internet or what have you. So you, to entertain yourself, you, I would just go out into the woods, run with the dogs, or like I said, ride my bikes or what have you, but it was pretty pretty solitary uh, environment as a youth. I always wanted to move to the city, let me say that. Uh, and then I did when I turned 18. I went to college and moved to New York City and um, it just got to be too much for me. So there's too many cars, too many people, too many problems. And long story short, uh, I watched a, a, a documentary called Food Incorporated, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, right? I haven't seen it but I know exactly the documentary yeah. you're talking about. Literally, yeah. literally hit stop and said I'm done eating meat and I was contemplating it for a long time. So. Then I started thinking about growing my own vegetables. So outside of New York, I, I started a farm where I grew 66 different varieties of uh, organic veggies. Cool. And then fell in love with when, it. When you say outside of New York, what, like, we're talking... It's about an hour and 20 minutes. So yep. the, the job I had in New York, I freelanced. Yeah. So I didn't have to... I didn't have to work if I didn't want to. So I took three months off every summer and just farmed. I just... What I wanted to do was learn... The mistakes when when they didn't matter. Yep. So learn how to farm. If things don't work out, you can learn. You can look at it and say, oh yeah, you know, I need more nitrogen or this or these crops don't do well with each other or this insect that was a big problem. You know, I, I had my a lot of my squash plants, my pumpkins just decimated by borers. So you got to learn how to deal with them, uh, and especially I'm trying to do everything organically. Uh, so I did that, and. I didn't make any money off it. Anything I grew, I just gave away. And then I started to look into the tropics because I knew that the States wasn't for me. It's, it's, it's not a good place for me. Uh, I prefer to live in, you know, more what they like to refer to as third world nations. But to me, I call them happy world nations. They're places that are just easy. People live, you know, in the States, you got to deal with all the bullshit. Yeah. So uh, when I came here, I actually came to Thailand uh, to study at a farm down in Korat, Nakan Ratchashima, if you're yep. familiar with that, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was supposed Karat's to stay, Isan, right? Yeah, yeah, Isan province, yeah. I was supposed to stay there for a year, and that didn't work out. I was there for about a week, and uh, me and a couple other people there decided that this, this just wasn't right. Uh, a bunch of hippies ran it. And we, I call them I call them dreambos. That's the best thing. <laughs> dreambos. They, yeah, I've never heard that one before. Oh, it's perfect. Man, you're in the land of dreambos in Thailand. <laughs> <It is, dude. laughs> but they, they they like to say like, oh, tomorrow we're gonna get up. It's gonna be eight o'clock. We're gonna do this and this and this. And you're, I'm, I was paying for this. I was actually paying to stay there. It's not too expensive, but it's not the point. Yeah. And you know, I'd get up eight o'clock in the morning. And I'm ready to go. And I'm like, well, where is everybody? So I ended up leaving there, and I toured with a friend of mine from Singapore, and we went from farm to farm to farm. 
And uh, we ended up in Pi. Uh, how long ago was this so, then? How, when? This was about, it was 2013. Okay. So about five and a half years ago. So you'd come out of growing your vegetables an hour outside of New York and then that had brought yeah. you here and you started yeah. kind of like exploring the same thing, realizing yeah, you didn't like exactly the city it. and exactly all that, that you didn't. Yeah. I used to live in Chiang Mai for two and a half years mm-hmm. and that, that started to feel like New York for me. Yeah. Too many cars, too many people. And I'm still, even in Pi now, Matt, no kidding, I, I feel like it's, it's also getting too busy for me. Yeah, right. And it, but it's not, it's not just that. It's also the, how do you say this, the, the bullshit that it has, it, it happens in a small community. Yeah. You know, all the small talk, all the gossip, you know. I, 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 <laughs> I lived here, so I yeah, know it. Yeah. I, I get tired of that, you know. Yeah. And then look at, we have a friend, you know, Elkins, Tony Elkins. He, he lives out in, in a, a village called Sapong, and he's just separated. If he wants to come to town, he can. But if not, he lives out there and it's quiet. Nobody bothers him. It's and that's, that's, well, that's what, I mean, that's at. kind of what brought you here, right? It's not yeah. I'm, running away is the wrong expression. Running, no, running towards something is yeah. probably the right expression. But, but when I say running away, running away from the city a bit, but then you get here and these places get, you see this all the time. Yeah. People get here, this gets too busy. You go on to the next place. It's yeah. like, you've got to keep shifting because yeah. commu- we're like ants. Humans are like ants. We just swarm and, you know, I and agree. pies like that. I mean, it's, it's, we're 140 Ks from Chiang Mai or in the hills, but this is not. This isn't a quiet little village, really. I mean, a lot of the part of the year, it's, it's massively populated, yeah. populated by yeah. by tourists and used stuff. Used to be, but that's a thing, you know. As you know, I used to work in in uh, in tourism, and people used to, there was a saying, you know, people would go to Pai and they would stay for a, you know a day, a couple of days, whatever, a week or a month, but they would stay, you know, six months, three months, six months, or stay a year, or they would never leave, and that's mm-hmm. what's happening a lot here. There's a huge amount of expats who live in Pai now. Yeah, right. And to me, it's, it's a little much. It's why when I was looking in Central America and South America, especially in places like Costa Rica or Guatemala or Nicaragua or Panama, there was just too many expats, especially uh, Costa Rica. They changed the whole value of the land there. And they're doing it now in Pai. We talked about that. As in what you mean that the... As in the cost of living, as in the, the cost to buy land here exactly. because of 100%. the types of people that live 100%. here. One hundred percent. Because even though yeah. Thais can only buy land here, you know, foreigners are not allowed to buy. Yeah. They're being backed by foreign money. Yeah. A lot of times, and not all Thais. You know, there's new money here. They're doing really well. There's a. It's not a third world nation in any way. I mean, there's land in Pai. Man, there's land here that's that is that equal to probably land in Tonglor in Bangkok, man. I mean, it's freaking I, I feel crazy. it's the same in New York. Yeah, I mean, there's, it's, that's there's interesting. Li- my neighbor's land, uh, what we spoke of, was $120,000 for, for three rye. But your neighbor here in Pai? In, in Pai, which is just under an acre. $120,000 an acre? Yeah, and that's... I was looking at land outside of New York. It yeah. was 100 acres for $75,000. Yeah. I mean, it's a, fr- it's a, a fraction. Yeah, right. Interesting. It's not even, yeah, you can't even compare it. Mm. So I want to ask about your, Shoot. I want to ask about your your farming background. I mean, your, the growing vegetables became more than just growing vegetables, right? I mean, you've it got did. a you've got an interest in. I I had to look this up on the internet. I had no idea what I hear you talk about cob building. I've seen you get involved in the local school here, do mm. shit like that. Mm. Like, talk me through what it means. Cob, yeah. As I as I can see it, it's using natural elements to build structures right. for people living, right? So I'm thank you. On, on my path, uh, what I did is. The reason I went to that school in Nakanrachashima is, is, to, is to study for a year. But in the end, I would have something called a permaculture uh, certificate. You familiar with permaculture yeah, yeah, at all, yeah. right? So, Actually, educate me on it. All right, so 
you can look at it where the word comes from. It's permanent agriculture. Yep. Uh, it was developed by a guy named Bill Mollison out of uh, Australia. Uh, but people have been doing it way before him. It was just never you know, tagged as this is what it is. But it's about being sustainable. It's about planting a, uh, a lot of uh, perennials, what have you, versus annuals, and building your land so that it becomes like a food forest. Yeah. You, know, you can go out, you can pick your vegetables. For example, you park your car in the driveway, you put your herbs on the walkway in your house so you get to see them. Yeah. And also, if you want to cook that night, you reach down, you grab a couple herbs and what have you. So self-sustaining. So it is. But there's, there's a tremendous amount of... of how do you say knowledge that has to go with it? Because you know, being an expert in soil is one. Being an expert in water is another. Being an expert in, uh, God, there's, there's, I, I would say there's probably 16 different facets. Natural building is definitely one of them. Um, to, to, to permaculture, and nobody is a master at all of them. You always just try to get as good as you can, at, at certain parts. Uh, and for me, when I, when I came here to take that course, and it didn't work out. Uh, I ended up realizing, oh, oh, let, me, let, me, let me digress. So yeah. I came to Pai, and I went to a place here called Takon Pai, and it was, it was taught by a Thai guy. And th- this guy, it, w- it was hilarious. He was teaching us how to make coconut milk, and he'd be like, okay, so I want you to, to boil this. Well, how long? <laughs> a little. Well, that doesn't help. You know, and it's like, okay, make sure you do that. Well, how long? Uh, how much? Uh, just some. So I, I needed someone who could speak English a little more yeah. and, and really... Uh, explain to me exactly what they're trying to do and why they're doing these methods. So I decided to go back to Tennessee and I went to a place called Spiral Ridge Permaculture, which was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, it was a guy named Cliff Davis and his wife and family and they're living off the land. Yeah. And there's a lot of people, this is another thing, people go to a permaculture class and at the end they think that they're masters. They're going to go out and they're going to plant and change the world. You're not. And his, his, what his big philosophy was is you have to do it. You have to live right, off the land. You got, you got to get I into mean, I, it to do it. I think that philosophy is like with anything in life, really. It's like you can go mm. to school, and I'm not knocking learning. Learning is great, but doing is everything. Yes. It's like if you do not, if I, you don't apply what you learn, you, you really I have, agree. You've done nothing with it. Yeah. So. Listen, you know, not, not to take anything away from college education, because I, I went to college, and to be honest, it has nothing to do with my degree. It was the sociology. It was the uh, philosophy. It was the psychology. All those other things that weren't part of my degree, but I was forced to learn that opened my mind a lot more. And I'm, I'm glad that I went. But to go to school for a degree for a certain purpose, unless you're a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, you're best off just doing it. Yep. You know, because you're going to make mistakes. You're going you know, to have to, to reach out and have people come help you and, and people who are the masters at it. And that's another thing that my teacher always told me is that if you're going to learn something, learn from the masters. Don't just pick some any old schmo that's, that's teaching the course and what have you. You want somebody who really knows what they're doing. Mm. And that's the only way you're going to get good. Anyway, when I was at the school in, in uh, Spiral Ridge, uh, my, my teacher read me a quote. It was from a book by, oh boy, uh, I'm sorry if I get this wrong. Inanto uh, Evans, I believe is his name. Yeah. I A N T O Evans, E V A N S, and it was called the Hand Sculpted uh, House, and it's it's a really interesting book. Uh, I, I I actually bought it because of the quote, and it was a quote by a woman named Anna Stearns who was down in Mexico, and she said that she realized that she loves living in in, in uh, again this terminology. This is a false terminology. The the third world countries, and she realized that. The reason I do is because it is a simple life. Now, when you compare that to the farmers in the United States and the farmers in, again, these third world countries, 
they're completely different. The farmers in the third world countries, they make their basic goods, they make their clothes, their medicine, uh, they make all the materials they need to survive. And an American farmer is tied into the system. Yeah. They have to make money. They have to you know, buy their tractors. They have to make money to send their kids to agricultural college and what have you, and they're part of the whole system. And what this quote really talked about was like stepping away from that and being part of nature, recycling your, your own poo, you know, your own pee. And, and trying to be as sustainable as possible. And I'd love to read it to you. Uh, you have to, I mean, this, what you just hit on then now. is really interesting. I mean, obviously I've lived here right, for four years before, and I, mm. what you just hit on then, uh, this whole, I, I cannot stand this kind of third world label because it- Me too. It, it's really annoying. I, I, I mean, developing is a, lab, is, is a, is a term it's I use all the time. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, there is this whole question around developed versus developing and you know what is really better what is not i mean i used to have the best reflection on it when i lived here because i you know i was working in singapore so i would do three weeks here and i'd do five days in singapore right so i'm going from a house on a hill to you know one of the biggest not the most modern city in asia and you know i'm then faced with with um personalities individuals atmosphere reactions behavior all of these interesting you know elements to the human condition and when i'm here i would cycle my bike you know two three four days a week around the hills i would connect with people eye to eye get massive smiles these are people Mm. in the villages and incredible you know incredible feeling of um i hate that word happiness because i think it's a terrible word these days it's so overused but contentment people were so content hmm. then i got to see more people people and and look i've got a lot of good friends in singapore they're very content but generally across the population most people were frustrated annoyed yeah. Yeah. and i don't know what that is i mean maybe it's striving you know maybe it's chasing whatever it is but certainly well, it's also just, the, it's, you know the, the here i got the the element here i got was just that yeah. satisfaction of people in the village because you know what they have to do day to day their purpose is defined their purpose is you know and I'm I'm guessing here a little bit but I did live here but it's you know the purpose is get up is 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 you know make food look after the family speak to the community it is living that's that's the difference back back in the western countries you're you're just you're just part of the cog you know you you have to get up you go to work I'll, I'll tell you this after I moved to New York um, I was making so much money and I was just like Whoa, oh my god this is amazing I was making like triple what I was making when I was from but in the reality, and I was telling my sister this, but I started looking there after a couple of years, like, man, you know, I'm making great money, but I don't have any money. <laughs> I've been there. I, <laughs> everything I made just went out the door. I would go to buy a cup of coffee, and I always tell this anecdote. You might have heard me say it before. I, what I hated about New York, I felt like I'd get a cup of coffee, and my wallet would magically float out of my, <laughs> out of my pocket and in front of my face and just open up, and, and money would just start flying out of it. And I'm like, $40? I just want a cup of coffee. <laughs> And that's that 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 was that that's how it was there. I mean, I can I can go on and on. We don't, we don't have enough time to talk about all this stuff. But you know, uh, like I said, with the police in New York, I, I can't tell you as a law-abiding citizen, and I mean that I, I am very much uh, that. I, I try to do as much as I can so I don't get tickets, so I don't get in trouble. You know, I pay my taxes, all of that stuff. And no matter what I did, I would get fines. And completely out of my control. And just, just to give you an example, I parked one time on a Sunday in Manhattan. You're allowed to park anywhere you want in Manhattan. And I got a ticket. How the heck did I get a ticket? Well, it had been snowing. And the fire hydrant that they used to put out the fires in New York was under a snowbank. And the law says you're not allowed to park within 15 feet or 5 meters within any uh, hydrant. 
what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to park my truck and dig 15 <laughs> meter or 15 feet or five meters east direction? No. Put a sign there, but they don't put a sign there. They don't let you know because it's not about safety. They don't give a shit if you burn and die. <laughs> They're there to make money. Doesn't that make sense? It or, may make sense and it's or, interesting. Well, the, the other way to say is move the fire hydrant to the center of the street. Why can't it just be a valve that's on the on the tarmac that you just unscrew and the fire hydrant, I mean, sorry, the fire uh, men can plug into? But they don't change the law. They don't fix the problem. It's all about money. So here, uh, what you were saying is it is about living. It's a lot, lot simpler. And then also, I, was, I, I, I had gone to Mehung Song, which is uh, where we go to do the, the our, a lot of our visa stuff that we need to do with immigration uh, in my providence. It's the capital of this providence here. We're on the way back, and my wife and I stopped, and we're on, a, we're on a big motorcycle, stopped just to have a cigarette. And this Thai guy pulls over in a truck. He says, you guys okay? Yeah. W- what's wrong? We're just smoking a cigarette. Oh, I thought you had a problem. <laughs> no. But how nice is that? As in not, do you have a problem? I want to help with I your problem. I want to help you. Yeah, yeah, I've had the same. You can't get there's that something where I'm that... from. No, not at all. I, I, not I mean, at all. I, they I don't, don't stop. I had a similar experience actually I, when I drove back up through the checkpoint to Chiang Mai a couple of years ago. Uh, well, probably three years ago now, and the car broke down. And sometimes I, you know, I found this through traveling all around Asia when I was younger as well. You don't get to recognize the kindness until something happens to allow people yeah. to help out. And then you're like, yeah. wow, yeah. what a community. And my car broke down. Yeah. I, I was lucky. I'm at the top of that hill. You know, for anyone listening, it's a. Uh, I mean, the, the road between Pai and Chiang Mai is uh, famous for being about 760 curves in the road. It's one of the most curvy, hilly... 62, Matt. Sorry, was it <laughs> 762? 62. Well, I got from Pai to the checkpoint, which is the kind of uphill battle of 45 minutes yeah. uh, in, a, in a rather cheap, you know, old 20-year-old car and smoke coming out the bonnet, pulled mm. over and just got there. And it was like, you've got the checkpoint there, you've got, I, I don't know whether they're... They're not police, military or whatever looking off. They were instantly behind me on my side. It was like, hey, where are you going? You're getting to Chiang Mai. (laughs) They stopped the first truck, ordered the guy in the truck to drive me to Chiang Mai. I said, make sure he doesn't ask for money. And this guy wasn't going to ask me for money anyway, but it was like, okay... They were so determined that I should get to Chiang Mai and and be helped on the way, which it's, it's funny. is Sorry. yeah. No, I mean it's it's a you know it's a great when you get to see those elements of this country. Yeah, and it's like what you were just talking about. We should talk. I mean, this whole kind of you know Thailand is a structured country with laws, but it operates in a completely different way to to the West, right? Being it is because a know, lot of the laws are the same, but they don't they don't abide by them. And the biggest you know, and that comes with positives and negatives, but they don't enforce a lot of the laws here. So, they exist. It's just it's just not enforced. But it's and there's, yeah, and just the way of living is. It's not. I mean, anarchy is a strong word. It's not. It's not anarchy. Not but there is an element of, you know, freedom. I would look at it as actually yeah. more than when you've come from the constructs of the, the, the you know the constructs of the 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 countries we've been brought up in. I, so. I, I absolutely love that you just said that, because America loves to pride itself on the land of the free. My. So they the land of the free. They are not even close. This is the land of the free compared to America. Yeah, I totally you know. agree. And, and this isn't the only place. You know, like, you know, we're talking, and this, this goes out to anyone who's listening again, is it's, it's not about um, just, just this place. You know, I just think there's a lot of wonderful places in the world, that, what I call your Eden, and it's up to you to go find it. 
and especially if you live in a Western culture, just uh, it's it works for a lot of people. But for some of us, there's a lot better places uh, that you'll be a lot happier in, and this is definitely one of them. So, and that, let me, and. We didn't really drill down it, but I want to talk about it a bit more. Just your whole experience with building. You've you've yeah, got sorry. into building, sorry. right? No, no, don't worry about it. It's like, too, too much talking here. No, it's cool. Um, no, it's cool. This so is... so when 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 I when I saw that that quote, uh, yeah, I ended up buying the book just for the quote. Had no idea what the book was about. No, nothing whatsoever. I just said, "Where does that quote come from? I want it." So I ordered the book online, and it was about natural building. So I read the book. And it's extremely convincing. Um, this guy's been building, you talked about Cobb. Uh, it actually originated in England. Yep. Devon, England is uh, really popular for Cobb construction. Really? Well, but that's they, where I literally the whole family's from. So yeah, interesting. No shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, West they, country. They, they, they changed it a little bit in, in Thailand, I'm sorry, in America, and they call it uh, Organ Cobb is where this company's out of. But what it is, is it, it's clay, sand, straw, and water. Yep. And the whole idea is you mix it together uh, using tarps in your feet, uh, and then you make walls with it anywhere from 30 centimeters to maybe 60, you know, 80 centimeters, depending on how high you're going. And that's uh, anywhere from a, f a foot to two feet, two and a half feet. Yep. Um, and it's a monolithic structure. A lot of people in Thailand build what's, what's called adobe brick, and I'm not a fan of it in the north of Thailand at least because there's earthquakes up there, up here. So what they do is they'll make these clay bricks, and then when they go, they'll dry out, yeah. and when they go to stack them, they use clay as the mortar, and it's not a good mortar in an earthquake region. It's just it's just gonna fall like that. It's gonna be extremely fast. So the way I build, they're very thick walls, very strong walls. Um, here's a great example. So I, I I built this rice shed on my on my land to store rice straw that I use for building. Yeah. And on top of it, I built a living roof. So. I try to build as organic as possible until it's not practical. And that's a real big lesson for anybody out there who's, who's into organics, whether you're doing farming, whether you're doing you know, building, what have you. It's not practical to dig a shovel, using a shovel to dig a pond, it's, it's not. You hire a machine, a professional who knows what they're doing, they dig it in one day and it's done. Versus you, you know, trying to dig a pond, it's, it's ridiculous. So when I build, I do everything I can organically. In this particular case, I would love to put uh, wood on the roof. I'm talking maybe two inches or. You can know. you define organic when it comes to building? You just yes, mean I literally. Am. I'm, I'm talking, you I'm mean talking stuff natural from the land. I'm talking wood, I'm talking yeah. bamboo, I'm talking, you know, here in Thailand they use leaves. Because the word organic several, is so thrown around that. So it, yeah, it is. Organic you, building is you're natural. talking natural, I'm talking natural, natural products, materials, period. nothing. Yeah, no concrete, nothing, yeah, no, okay. nothing like that. Uh, but for the, for this roof that I built on this rice straw uh, shed, uh, I used steel. I used two millimeter steel to reinforce this roof. And then I put uh, around, I would say, 20 centimeters of, uh, of dirt on top of it uh, when I did flowers and everything on it. But it's extremely heavy. And the roof itself doesn't have any pylons or poles or anything, any reinforcement going to the ground. It literally sits and rests on the structure that I built, on the walls themselves, which are 60 centimeters uh, thick. And uh, I'm, I'm gonna try to explain it to you. I know it's very confusing when nah, you're doing a podcast, but uh, to attach the roof to the building, when I was building the walls, I took these big pieces of wood and I built an upside down T, 
right? A T upside down, and I buried that in the wall with just the bottom of the T yeah. sticking up. If that makes sense to everybody. And that's what I attached the roof to, so the wind doesn't blow the roof off. Yeah. You're dealing with so many different forces when you're building. You know, lateral forces from the wind, what have you, the rain, which does, uh, you know, the vertical forces with all the, the weight of the water on it, especially with a living roof, that, that, that earth just absorbs all that water. And structurally, you have to be able to hold a lot more than what you think you're going to hold just in case. You always over-design. And my friend, you know, Toby, our friend Toby said that to me. He says, Frank, no matter what you do, you over-design everything. And I said, I do. Because that way I know it's going to be safe. I know it's going to last. And, uh, yeah. So I, I, I'm a complete novice at any of this kind of stuff. I mean, I've got a house here. I've got mm. building, you know, I've been involved in building projects. Yeah. But the, the thing for me when I look at, you know, is it, is it just great environmentally, looks cool, strong, or is it better, you know, than, or as good I, as traditional bricks and mortar in terms of building? You know, is it as strong? Is it as robust? Okay. Is it as durable? Does it last as long? That's a great question. Um, and the answer is yes to all of those. There's evidence in New Zealand of, of homes that have been there for 500 years with zero maintenance. Uh, that, that's a one thing. So longevity is not a problem at all. There's other evidences of them being in floods where they actually survived the flood and the walls didn't collapse and there was, there was little damage. Yeah. I'm not saying this happens in every single case. Getting the mixture right is extremely difficult. Um, you know, so, sometimes I've, I've built walls that I thought were really strong and then they come out and you, know, you, you go to test them after they dry and mm, they're, they're not So the combination really what of what? F liquid versus because All right, so, so when material. you're mixing the, 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 the clay and the sand, right? This is really important when it comes yeah. to cob construction. What happens is clay is like a flat disc. We're talking at the, at the micro level, you know, under the microscope. It's a very small flat disc. And when you add water to it, it expands and becomes, let's say, like a circle. So now... You mix your sand in, you mix your, your rice straw or whatever straw you're using, and there are ones that are better than others, I will say that. And you put your wall together, what have you. As the wall starts to settle, and it will, it can go several inches, you know, you're talking maybe five centimeters, something like that. It can drop as it dries and just settles. So, I'm almost losing my train of thought here. Oh yeah, I got it. So, when clay gets wet, like I said, it turns into a bubble. As it dries, it wants to turn back to a flat disc. Yeah. If there's not enough sand in it, you're going to get major cracks in your wall. And I'm okay, talking I've seen, huge, It's funny you say that because I, cause I know a lot of guys who build kind of mud houses here, and I've seen yeah. exactly that. Like huge the, cracks because there's not the enough sand in it. Yeah, right. And what happens is as that clay tries to move and it dries... The reason it can't is because sand literally is just really small rocks and it's trying to push against but it can't go that way because there's a rock there you know, a piece of sand it tries to go that way it can't so with enough sand in it you'll stop the cracks but there is a balance that you have to do um, I mean we all know we've all seen this where you go out and you can find pure clay that you need a hammer to break apart I mean it is like yeah, yeah, rock yeah, for sure so and there's very little cracks in it so there's that, it's the perfect balance that you have to get. And a lot of people, uh, for, for now, I, I got a job coming up that I have to do. The, the gentleman says, I want to take the clay, the clay off my land. And I said, well, that's great. But the clay here is not the same as the clay that's two meters away or six feet away. It's not. Dig down. You can do tests on it. The, you know, as the land formed over millions of years, it's just different. There's more sand there. There's more clay over there, what have you. And you have to do a test every single time. Yeah, so right. I prefer to buy it 
especially in this country, because everything, deliveries, you know, it's just cheap. So for $30, I can get a whole 5Q, they call it. They measure it by the, it's called a front-end loader, like a tractor with a, the big bucket on the front. Usually those are built in what's called a Q. So I do five, five buckets is 5Q. And they deliver that to my land, and I know exactly what I'm getting. I can do a test on it. I can mix it with pure sand and say, okay, this is it. And what I do is I do test bricks. Uh, I would say somewhere around 30 centimeters by 50 cent, 15 centimeters. And then the, the thickness of them is maybe around 10 centimeters. I make those, and, uh, and I do all different ratios. I mix the clay and the sand in many different ratios to see which one is the strongest, which one doesn't crack. And you have to do that before you build on, on any site. Yep. So, yeah, it's a monolithic wall. I think that's the answer you're looking for. Yeah, it's Monolithic, cool. it's just it's solid. There's no cracks. There's nothing in it. And it also it just, it, it, it gives you this beautiful, uh, because it's a thick wall, I love putting, like, breakfast nooks. I need to come up and look at your. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it. I remember when you were doing the foundations for it, but yeah. I'll have to come and look at look yeah. at what you've done. But, but I also do like all the furniture out of it. I do my couches that come out of the wall. They're part of the wall and wrap so around. Just, yeah, right. Yeah, so, I remember seeing the. I think I saw the couch because you built that at the low level. Well, yeah. As soon as you done the foundation, I think I saw it when you were about three foot high on the walls. So. And then and then then you can just add cushions to it. And when the cushions are old, you just buy new ones. You don't got to buy a new piece of furniture. So, as we know, everything's meant to fail in this culture, so you're better off building as much as you can, keep it as cheap as you can to maintain. For sure. So. I'm going to throw this in a totally different direction because sure. I think it's interesting that, you know, you talk about this stuff and it's, and, you know, at the end we'll share, we'll, we'll share links or I'll share them when I, when I throw the podcast out there so people can find out about some of this stuff. But on a completely different vein, you're also running back to New York now and then to do something completely different, right? managing Lauren Hill tours and yeah what is, I, it, what is it you do oh, with that Christ. stuff so I do uh, I don't know if I want to I say it on this podcast I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut and be a nice person but um yeah I work for that lovely woman and uh, I don't even know I, who I, Lauren I Hill is so I'm completely uneducated when it comes to yeah to her musical she's a but, wonderful person but I'm not I mean I don't think anyone's interested so much in in her or what you do with her but I'm more interested in that whole lifestyle of which you're kind of doing a little bit now a lot of people do here is live here you know jump on a plane go back got, there subsidize the lifestyle here i mean yeah, it well, is I got really, it is a way of life right yeah I, I got i got really lucky matt i uh when i lived in new york uh, i went to school for acting don't ever tell anyone that by the way people all right you never uh, struck me as an actor oh jesus no <laughs> so <laughs> As soon as I graduated, but you know, I always went to school for electrical engineering, so I had, I had two sides to me, you know, and whatever. I, I used to work for IBM, and uh, but I, I graduated with a degree in arts and also in, in science, and yeah. um, I, I ended up moving to New York, and I was like, you know, it's just better off to work and not deal with the bullshit of trying to be an actor. So I ended up working in lighting, uh, a field that I just knew it would be easy for me. And I do a lot of technical lighting for television shows, not so much movies, but I, I worked in a union uh, back in New York that does all live events. So whether it's the fashion shows or 
you know, shit for years. I worked on the Victoria Secrets fashion show. That, did you really? That, was that I did not know. Oh my god, yeah. Wow. I got to see. We, we will take that off the podcast with a beer afterwards. But yeah, you never told me your oh yeah Victoria Secrets. I got to see Justin Bieber. I got to see everybody. <laughs> I mean, name an artist. I've seen him. <laughs> right. You know, I used to work in so many concerts, what have you. But anyway, the point of this let's not get sidetracked. Too on, much here. it's a leading I, question, so keep talking. But I'll tell I, you what I'm taking in. Right, probably right, down so, the worst rabbit hole I could. But. Great. I like that. So I, I ended up doing it, and I and I freelance so all I have to do is literally I don't have to ask a single soul I get on a plane I go back I can just call up and be like I'm here and they're like great come to work I, I landed on Sunday sometimes at 8.50 at night and I'm at work on 8 o'clock on yeah, Monday that's morning cool. and it's just they don't care if I'm tired or dead or jet lagged they're like alright whatever Frank's here great hey Frank we're doing this help us so so how's so it must be interesting for you guys i mean i used to do it a little bit but not you know going to singapore is one thing i think going to the u.s is is more of an apart from the distance it's more of an extreme culture shock anyway but how have you how have you seen the u.s change since you've been here and what's your i i don't want to get into a massive political conversation but i can't help asking the question you know what but what's your view under the whole trump you know the the Trump phenomenon and, and the U.S. because it's kind of happened almost as a wave since you left, really. Yeah, well, um, let me let me let's. let's I, I I disagree a little bit, Matt. Yeah. Uh, and and the reason I say that is because you know when Obama was president and I, I liked him a, a lot more. Let's just say that more than uh, Trump. But I I knew the shit was coming. Yeah. The United States is going down. It's just a matter of time. I'm sorry for anyone listening from the states, what have you, but the decisions that they're making back home, you know, where we're from is. It's just ridiculous. I mean, right now we're talking about an emergency declaration for, for this border wall that's, that's not an issue. You know, it's, it was down from, I think they said 2007, there was something 400, I'm sorry, there was like a, a million or two million people coming across the border, and now it's only 400,000, yet Trump wants this. You know what it is? It was a campaign promise, and he wants to deliver. Yeah, I mean, it's become And, a, and, it, and it's yeah. now he's about, like they do in Thailand, it's about saving face. He, yeah. can't, he can't lose. He's got to win. And I just... Um, yeah, I can't, I can't deal with it. But I, I left the States because of where it was going. And here's, here's a great example. This really will answer your question. In 2008, after that housing crisis happened, right, and the bubble exploded and what have you, and everybody lost the money and the value of the homes dropped, something else happened. GM, which is a car manufacturer, General Motors in Detroit, Michigan, one of the oldest manufacturers in, in America, they ended up getting ready to close their plants. And that in turn meant that the pensions that all these people worked for for 20, 30, 40 years, maybe 50, were going to be gone. And that, that's exactly what happened. They lost their pension. Imagine being 70 years old, right? You're retired. You're done. You're going to live off that. And now it's gone. And I said, I'm not going to let that happen to myself. Because... When I, when I was working in the union, I got in the union in New York. It was extremely difficult. I don't have any brothers or cousins. I did it purely on work ethic and people recognizing my skill. That I finally got there and I, I was ready to get in the union. I got the package. And I'm like, okay, great. You made your money this year, you know. You want to be in the union? And I thought to myself, in a five-second decision, either I'm going to move to Thailand or I'm going to stay here in America and I'm going to work which means I have to do a minimum of at least five years to get a pension. Mm. And I decided, hell no, because you don't know. Look at Wisconsin. We have a governor in Wisconsin named Scott Walker. He basically de-unionized his state. He got rid of all the unions, teachers unions, all that. Like, really? 
You need to have that. And that's the disgusting part about it. We have fought for hundreds, not hundreds of years, excuse me, but in the early uh, you know, 1900s, we fought for hell to make sure that people you know, had a, a place that they could work in that was safe, that they had equal pay, you know, that people were actually even properly paid for the work. You know, you're not going into a coal mine and working 12 hours or 14 hours a day you know, and getting paid a dollar. You know? Unions do, changed do you think, all that. Do you think there's a silver lining or is there a point of explosion that will take everything in a, in a more positive direction? I mean, look, it's, I, I, it's not a crisis. Things have, things have got worse, but I'm like, you know, I think the big debate point is, hmm. you know, will it, will it just implode and, and get better or things, you know, will there, will there be a turn or will, you know, will it not? So I, I honestly, I, I don't know. I, I see there's a, there's a movement now. Yeah. You know, we had a record m- number of women uh, voted into Congress this year. Absolute record. Which okay. is fantastic. Yeah, cool. So, and I, I think we need a lot more of that. Uh, w- women seem to have a better, better head on their shoulders than us men do. Um, w- when it comes to that, sorry, lady, or sorry, <laughs> g- gentlemen out there, but uh, when you're just talking about your wife there, which you know, I, got, I mean, I, your, your your perspective is bang on. In that yeah, <laughs> I got I got the best wife, but still, um, yeah, I. I Yes, it's it's like when you, you you have all these these policy leaders back in America making laws about women's health, and there's a big panel and all the all the congressmen are there and they're all men. What the hell do you know about women's health? You don't know shit about it. You have yeah, no right. right making decisions for women. So it's good that we have that balance there. But uh, as to your question, yeah, Matt, uh, eventually I do think it's going to fall. It's going to collapse. I mean, when you elect someone like Donald Trump and you think that that's good for the country. And I have family members that believe that. They think he's great. They still, to this day, think he's great. Despite every day you look in the news and you shake your head and you're like, he did what? He said what? Anyone with any logic realizes that this is a problem. Yeah. So I think for me, it's, and I don't, I'm not American and I don't understand American politics. Yeah, I but think, you understand people. Well, I do. And I, I, the thing I, the, that I find... Uh, maybe scary is maybe a harsh word, but it's just this massive divide. It's like wow, yeah. you know, you're either extreme right or extreme left, and then but there seems to be this growing middle ground, which I think is the positive area of individuals that don't want to associate themselves with left or right, which is always that that's always been an American thing. Left or right yes. was always quite a healthy thing because it wasn't so extreme, but it's become so extreme that. Yeah. I, you know, you can't, I, I can imagine you can't even sit, sit at certain dinner tables and try yeah. and try and be on, have people on you know either side of the spectrum. Whereas this kind of growing middle ground seems to have a logical approach to to looking at you know looking at the economy, looking at um, racial issues, looking at borders, looking at all these things. So I, I'm for, forever optimistic. I think with everything, but you know, America's a massive global force, so it has to. No, hopefully these things do get sorted out. I, I agree, but I'm, I'm not sure so much that there is what you call like a middle ground. I think, I think on the other side of the coin, more, just from my you know, reading the news, what have you, what I see is you have the left and the right, and the left is doing stuff that's so crazy that some of them are saying, all right, that's, that's just too much. So they're, they're, they're swinging back a little bit. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. The right are doing things that are a little bit crazy. You know, we're talking about the conservatives of America doing stuff that's so crazy that they're swinging back a little bit to the middle, and that's what's making that, you know, 
that picture that you think you know, you're seeing. Yeah, right. You know, well, this is I'm influenced by what I listen to, probably. I get yeah. that, you know, I don't. It's because actually, I you know, you try and well, in fact, the media is probably the most interesting area to try and get a viewpoint from now because you you literally have complete adverse opinions on two. And I don't want to go into who's who, but it's like two different media channels that yeah, news no. channels, and you're like, yeah. wow, yeah, yeah. Anyway, enough on politics, but in the same vein, we've got to talk about fires a little bit because oh fires in the US have been a big thing. Mm. And I mean, I was here yesterday, you know, fire. I mean, anyone who lives in the north, this is, a, you know, an interesting area. I mean, they were burning the hills up here like crazy, man. Yeah. And really it's good. something as a business we may try and get involved with next year. And, you know, talking to a guy in the States at the moment who's who's involved with the, with the business and can we create some kind of program i i don't want to be one of those lost voices because you hear a lot of expats here try and get involved with this but yeah, yeah it's I mean, difficult you... um to, today we there, there was a big meeting in our town about the smoke so just just so all the listeners out there yeah, realize give, the, what, give what, the brief yeah. what we're talking about is uh northern thailand has a historical problem with burning as well as a lot of thailand but the village that we live in, this valley that we live in of Pai, is number one in all of Thailand and has been number one in the world in record occasions. We, we had actually beat Beijing. Um, you can look up what's called the, the 2.5 scale. It's the, the measurement of 2.5 uh, microns, parts per million, uh, that are in the air. And in Pai, we set a record in the world that's never been set. 460 parts per million of 2.5 which is absolutely crazy not to be outdone Beijing beat us a couple months later with like 600 and something but to give you an idea the scale stops at 300 anything over 300 is just bad we were at 460 here Wow. so today we had a big meeting and uh, my wife and I went and there was there was barely anyone there you know they, they were calling uh, in thailand they have heads of villages you know is this village head here no nope. is that village head here nope so there's not a real desire for thai people farmers and village heads let me say that uh to do it but the, the, the a lot of the people here uh, local thais they care and they want something done the biggest thing that everyone says is how to do it and uh, I, 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 to be honest with you, Matt, I'm sorry, I don't want to sound like I know everything, but I got the solution for it. And the solution is fining. And there is no other way you around You think there's it. no other way? That's interesting. There, there's absolutely no other way, and I'll tell you why. You can educate them as much as you want. You can tell them that the smoke is going to kill your children, you know, you're, you're damaging you know, the air, your, your grandparents are going to die. They don't care about that. When it happens and they die from smoke-related illness, they'll just move on. I know it sounds horrible, but that's what will happen. But if you hit him in the purse with a ridiculous fine and you hit something like 100,000 baht if you're caught burning, which is 3,000 US dollars, people are going to think twice about it. And especially if they hit five or six people locally and then put their names on the radio and let people know this is actually happening, people will stop. It's the only thing in the world, no matter what country you're in, they've already enforced people care that. There is a fine system in place, right? Or not? Or, well, there is. Yeah. But they don't enforce it oh, whatsoever. Okay, you, can, you can go to any farmer's field here, and that's another thing. We call this the smoke season. I realized this after five years of being here. There is no smoke season. They burn every, every day all year long. Well, I think I can the difference is now here. the heat and the ra no rain. Uh, the heat. difference is the amount at which they do it. 
Oh, okay. So they were told this year they're only allowed to burn from one day, like, uh, I don't know, it was March 1st or whatever, to this date, right? And it's not March 1st yet, so it was before then. Maybe it was uh, 15th of February. Whatever day that was, it kicked off. There was barely any smoke. We were talking about it, like, oh, wow. You know, smoking season starting late this year, right? And then that date hit, and bam, it just lit up. Well, yeah, to I the mean, point. I, and I saw it last night. It yeah. was crazy. For any listeners who aren't in Thailand, you you, you lose the vis, uh, visibility of the mountains. They literally disappear. So I'm I don't know. I don't have a solution. I, who knows? That's but it. I, but I know we, I've got a meeting next week with an agri business in in Chiang Mai. I've got a podcast actually next week, so we're going to discuss this a few times. It's going to be interesting. Who, if we with? find a solution, I will come back and we will sit down and I'm telling you that's the only one about it so. that's the only one all right so so last year my wife and I we own a wine restaurant we had these three guys come in here and they're literally from the uh, Department of Environment in in Thailand they come here so they tell us yeah we're going to every head of village and telling them you're only allowed to burn between March 1st and March 30th and nothing above 30 centimeters okay great I told them you know something I'm gonna give you guys free wine and free dinner tonight Go do your job. I hope you do it well. It didn't matter. The locals don't give a hoot about any of that. They just do what they want. They don't care if it's 30 centimeters. They don't care if it's, you know, 100 feet, you know, or 10 meters, whatever you want to call it. They will burn it. So it's a cultural thing. Uh, education won't help as much. You, you just have to find. That's the only way you're going to stop it. When it comes up to the top of the mountains here, right? All right. Here's a story for you. <laughs> so I used to work for a Thai tour company, and we were going to put a zip line up in a mountain here in, in Mayong Song called Gyulong. So we get the best designer that we could get. Uh, he, used to, he built the Flight of the Gibbon, which is out of Chiang Mai. It's huge. One, the biggest uh, zip line in Chiang Mai. He also built the one down in Phuket. So th this guy knows what he's doing. He's no joke guy. So we get him up here. We said, all right, we're going to work with the forestry department. We're going to put a zip line on national park land. Now, to do this, uh, you don't have to be an NGO but or not-for-profit, but you have to give something back. You know, the forestry department has to earn something. So the idea was what we'll do is we'll charge money on it. Uh, we will educate anyone who comes here about the burning here, and we will also plant a tree. For every person that comes in a zip line, you have to plant a tree. So that was the idea. So we go up there, we're taking the tour. Now, when you do a zip line, the government needs a satellite map of the area of exactly where the zip line's gonna be. So I'm with the head of the, uh, the parks department here in Mehong Sung. We're walking along this mountain ridge and down below is a massive fire. I mean, absolutely huge. And I said to him, you know, what's, what's going on there? Isn't that state land? He said, yeah. I said, well, why, why is it happening? What, you know, how come you guys don't stop it? And he said a couple of really interesting things. One, that people don't think about this. The population of the world is exploding. And Thailand is no different. And what we have here in northern Thailand along the border of Myanmar is a, is a bunch of different tribes. One of them is the Thai Yai. But what they do is they're not Thai. They're not Thai and they're not Myanmar or, or Burma. They're like this, this lost people who lives on the border. Thailand estimates that there's around 80,000, but I've read there's over 3 million of them. Their population is exploding and they need more farmland. So they're burning these natural forests. And when the parks department goes in there, 
excuse me, Parks Department goes in there and says, this is state land, you can't do that. They say, no, we've, we've been planting crops here for years. This is, this is what we've always done. And what they're doing is they're, they're expanding. You know, you get it. Everyone needs to do that. So, and the other issue, he said, is that we only have, uh, he's got 800,000 rye. And for people that know acres, it's maybe roughly around 300,000 acres. He's got 200 people to police that. It's absolutely impossible for him to do his job. So it's the fines that have to put the fear in people. Let people know. Once you stop burning in the valleys, these 200 guys can go up to the forest, police a little more. And once you catch a couple people, they're going to stop. Cool. So, oh, wait. One, one, I'm sorry. One no, last no, thing. No, go for it. One last thing. As we were looking to do this, uh, this zip line through Gulom, this is crazy. This guy would walk up to a tree, a huge tree. We'd be like, oh, we're going to put a platform up on top. Looks healthy, right? He would take his machete and bury it into the tree, right up into the hilt, right up into the handle. Because the inside of the tree was dead from years and years of burning. The outside has an opening in it and the fungus can get in and ate the entire inside of the tree. So although the bark is healthy, and the waters, you know, the xylem and phloem are moving on the outside of the tree. The food is getting to the leaves. It looks great. It's not. So it would have been a good plan just to, to help plant more trees. Cool. Well, I will, we're going to, I'm going to be, I can just see this conversation is going to come up a few times over the next few weeks and I will check in with you and uh, sure. who knows? I don't know what the solution is. Maybe that maybe finding is, is, is the only way, but we'll, we'll check in. I'd love, I'd love to have any other ideas. Sorry. Yeah, no, no, but well, it's, look, I, I think for a lot of people listening, they won't even understand the issue or, no. or have been exposed to it. But yeah, I mean, we, i I've been here a couple of days. My my voice is croaky from it, so it's a rea- yeah. it's a reality of an issue. So we're pretty much kind of at the end. Um, I'll ask you something totally uh, totally random, left field. Uh, just a question to get deep again. Um, you know, you're a guy that likes to think. You've kind of changed your life, moved away. You know, started a completely different life. If you could give yourself some advice, um, if, if Frank Frank of sixteen walked oh, in here now. Good question. Frank of 16 walked in the room here and, uh, you know, you, you had to kind of tell him something that he really needed to know. What would it I would be? say get, get to work. <laughs> really? I'm not kidding. I would tell myself. <laughs> You're a lazy work. bugger, were you? No, not a bit. Oh. No, you misinterpreted me. Yeah, I did. Um, because it's, it's look, I, one of the biggest problems that people have in life is finding out what they like. Like, what do you want to do? What right? do you mean get to work? You mean like just get on with it? What? No, no, no. What do you want to do in your life? Oh man, I just want to keep learning about life, right? Yeah, I know. This is why like, I like doing this. I love talking to people, learning what, how right. people think, how people operate. That's why I've, a, you know. A good way to say it is like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Oh, that's a big question. And I mean, that, nobody in fact, knows you that. just reframe the same question probably. So. Nobody knows that. But, but, but just, and so, so when you say get to work, what, what, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, on. I thought about that. It's a great question that you just asked. And I, I think it's great for listeners to think about this too. You know, what do you want to do? The listeners, what do you want to do with your life? That's, that's, that's a question that we are asked when we're like 15 years old or 16 years old sometimes. You're in high school, right? And you have a choice in high school in, in some parts, you know, depending on where you're from. You know, what do you want to start studying? For me, my, my school had this technology sequence that I could take where I, I learned about uh, electricity. Uh, what else did we have? 
There was, uh, there was uh, computers one. There was five different courses. Transportation was another one. Re really bringing me back now, many years ago. <laughs> but there were five different things, and you could do that and, and get a technology sequence for a degree, or you could go and do like your foreign language and business. And so even back then, we were, we were asked to, to decide what we wanted to do. And at 18, you're asked to go to college and decide what you want to do. Nobody, excuse me, nobody no, fucking knows. <laughs> You don't know because you don't know the world. Now, there's a lot of artists out there, you know, and I, I'm, I'm so envious of these big guys, you know, these, these fantastic drummers and guitarists, you know, who picked up guitar at eight, now they're world famous. Like, they knew exactly what they wanted to do. But the rest of us, you know, the, the majority of the people, we have no idea. And I was 34 years old, nine years ago, before I figured out what I wanted to do in my life. Um, well, you're further ahead than me then. Because, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for me, every every day is a, a, yeah. a discovery so, of course i'm you know i know what i want to do to a to yeah, certain so, level but i think that that element of being continually inquisitive about life is important yeah, so i agree but that's that's why i say get to work just get on with it get yeah. on with it because you yeah, you, right. you need to you need to do different things before like for me a quote led me to natural building yeah you know, that's how I got this job that, you know, like I said, we have a restaurant, but I also natural build. That's what I do. Um, I, guess, I, I think it's kind of like my way to also give back. You know, I want to I wanna teach Thai people because they, they, they love, wood is really expensive, so they build concrete and steel here. And I want our viewers to know that, you know, the manufacturing of concrete contributes to, depending on the year, sometimes as high as 8%, but recently it's only been 5% of all greenhouse gas comes from the manufacture of concrete so it's extremely bad and if we can do it a different way and i love it i mean we my wife and i were on our land we're camping it actually gets cold in northern thailand and get down to uh 10 degrees or 50 degrees fahrenheit and it's freezing we're sitting by the campfire and you know i need a new battery for my flashlight so i walk into the shed and it's warm in there like you gotta take off your sweatshirt. There's no heat or anything. And in the daytime now, when it's you know 32 degrees or you know 80, I'm sorry, 85, 90 Fahrenheit, whatever, you walk in there, it's super cool. It just it breathes. It actually, the walls, uh, they filter the air and they breathe. So they keep the air quality a lot better on the inside of the house. So that's that's one of the reasons I'm a huge fan. That's cool go on about this all day long sweet well look it's been good chatting to you we're, we're in the back room of your you, you and your wife's wine bar and i can so, hear hear um preparations yeah, we're, we're going cooking. on so uh, we'll we'll kind of wind up is there anywhere can people find out about any of this stuff in terms of, i don't I, know if you have a website i do or any, i do uh do you want, it's going to give it here or do you want me to write it on the podcast you or? can I'll, you can write it but it's uh, new dawn earth homes New Dawn Earth Homes. So New uh, Dawn Earth Homes. Yeah, that's our, com. Yeah, that's our that's our Facebook page that we have for it. Facebook. So so, yeah. so go to Facebook, look yeah. up New, New Dawn, Dawn Earth, Earth Homes, Homes yeah. and they'll find out a bit yeah. about you. And yeah. you don't you're not a Twitter guy or any of that. No, stuff, I'm actually no. because of everything that's happened in my life, Matt. I'm extremely anti-social when it comes to that. Like, well, Facebook is always telling me you need to make a post. Like ah. Well, what I what I will do though when we when we when that. we post the the podcast, we're sitting here at your wife Eve's and you mm. know wine bar. I'll I'll put the 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 URL up for this. And if anyone's ever in Pi, they can always pop in. And That's a great way have to have a do bite it. to eat and, and say hello. And yeah, and I, and I and I love I love talking to people. I love you know sharing my knowledge and uh, and just just showing people. You know, I'm not asking for money. I just uh, I, I love is the honest truth to help people. I think that's the best thing about a restaurant. I get to meet so many great people who are 
you know, on vacation and a lot of them are lost or need help. And I, I always say that to them, this is the place. If you ever, you ever get lost, you have a problem, you know, your bike smashed, you're smashed, whatever, you come here, we'll, we'll, we'll help you. So cool. That's an invitation to everyone out there. That's been a uh, good to chat, mate. You too, man. This is awesome. Sweet. So pleasure, brother. Thank cool. you so much. Anytime. Over and out.